keep your core tech and develop and focus on your core tech, but be really mindful when you're taking on something new that it's something that someone else has not already done in another industry you can use. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Today, we're talking about how composites manufacturing impacts marathon running. Our guest this week is Riley Reese, the co-founder of Ares Composites, a Berkeley-based technology company that designs and manufactures the highest performance products at scale. Now, I originally thought that they were a 3D printing company, but what they actually do is called additive molding. More on that soon. But before we get there, I'm going to share a quick story as to how they got on my radar, and this will probably start making a bit more sense. So I got a message from one of my PR buddies in the industry who was like, hey, Chris, I'm working with this company that is going to be featuring some of their materials technology at the NYC Marathon this weekend. Would you want to interview them? Didn't take long for me to say yes, because as a distance runner myself, I had a feeling we'd have plenty to talk about in this conversation, which definitely turned out to be the case. With that said, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll hear Eris Composite's backstory, what Riley was doing before Eris, and how his previous experiences shaped this company. As a slight spoiler, there is a huge lesson to be learned from this part of the conversation. Second, we'll talk about materials technology and how Eris Composites is impacting the running world. Finally, Riley and I share some of our personal stories around distance running, and we'll hear what's on the horizon for Eris. If you want to access any of the resources we mentioned in this episode, make sure to head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 117. And if you want to take part in conversations like this with the rest of the manufacturing happy hour industry community, well, make sure you join our private crew on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. And with that, let's dive into today's episode. I think some of you know this, but I used to live out in the San Francisco Bay Area, so Riley is going to take us back there, at least in an audio sense, as we kick off today's conversation. Okay, Riley, great to have you here. And in manufacturing happy hour fashion, I have to ask, if we were having this conversation and over a beverage either in the East Bay in the San Francisco Bay area or elsewhere where would that be paint the picture of, of what that venue might look like yeah first of all Chris great to be here I'm super excited for uh, for this podcast uh, yeah so if we were meeting here we'd be at rare barrel so there's a sour uh, beer place just a couple blocks from where I am right now uh, that serves some really creative beers and then always has Awesome guest uh, guest brews on on rotation. I was I had my fingers crossed that you were going to say a, a favorite spot of mine as well. And Rare Barrel is uh, <laughs> certainly one of those. For anyone listening out there, like you said, it's all sour beers, so that's their specialty. Um, I, I'm the type of person that can probably only drink one or two sour beers at a time, though, because those add up a bit quicker than a lager. I know. Well, what's great is they they I don't know if they had this when you were here too. They they have a great guest rotation. So they bring on like a lot of different IPAs. So I'm personally a huge IPA fan. I like the sour, but you know, you can only do so much, right? You have a sour and then you want to change your palate. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's, a, it's an awesome spot. Well, let's say we're there hanging out at Rare Barrel right. and 
someone asks you, hey, what does Eris Composites do? How do you answer that as if you're having a drink with someone? Yeah, so if we're, if we're having a drink, we're sitting in a bar. And this actually just happened this, over this, this, this last weekend after this marathon. It was uh, effectively Eris makes parts at high volumes. And we do that with a composite technology that can produce a higher performing part than you would get with metals or composites. So it's the highest performing parts at scale. That's the simplest way to put it. And and I guess my question is, because Eris isn't your first soiree into the 3D printing materials additive manufacturing world. So give us a bit about your background. We want to get to know you. How did you get into this space, even predating Eris? Yeah, I mean, it really it actually goes back to, to school. So back at, uh, back at Cal during my master's work, I really got into 3D printing. And at that time, it was, it was tissue scaffolds for heart, for heart repair. Um, I ended up going into medical for a couple of years, finding myself in, you know, in, a, in a place with really interesting technology, but really challenging barriers to innovation a lot for, for, for really good reasons. So even if you have a better solution, no one wants to take risks um, unnecessarily. And so things are obviously slow, slower in that space. Uh, and I left the medical world and co-founded Arivo. And Arivo, we were the first to do 3D printing with these continuous composite materials, continuous composite, like high performance materials. And it gave us, you know, this, yeah, it's it it like the classic tech push. We're in the garage, we're working through this. Can we use these materials? Let's try to modify printers. Let's try to like do all of these scrappy things. And we made it happen. And the press release was basically, hey, we could do this. And we got, we got a lot of interest. And that's, uh, that's kind of where, where Revo started. Uh, then I had a brief stint in Europe I, I worked in 3D printing, more automating 3D printing technologies, and uh, and then started started Eris actually with a former colleague from Arivo, uh, as you know, as well as another manufacturing veteran. Um, yeah, and that and that all came together in 2017. And the difference really between right, if we if we kind of compare the two, the first at Arivo was more of like a what if, what if we have these materials, what could we do with it? Where Eris was really this market pull, so we had interest in consumer electronics uh, and we had customers that we were working with that we knew that really were pushing the limit of aluminum right going thinner and thinner to a point at which you know it's you go you go so thin you end up losing all structural integrity right like aluminum foil they needed a stronger material composites existed there was nothing that could take advantage of those composites at the scale that these companies required so the technology was really built around this need that came from the market saying well Let's not look at 3D printing, where, where you have a lot of challenges to scale. It's really expensive. Let's take a technology platform that already exists that's conventionally used at high volume. And that's where the molding piece comes in. So we're not a 3D printing company, and I think it's an important distinction. We're actually an advanced molding company that takes advantage of the benefits from a design and performance perspective from, from the 3D printing world. So this additive molding that we came up with effectively gives us this customized fiber alignment along the stress direction of a part, and it ties it to, you know, molding, this boring kind of technology has been around for a hundred years, but there's been very little innovation. So having this ideal material and the right fiber alignment tied to this conventional technology like molding gives us the ability to produce these at really high volumes cost effectively, but not sacrifice performance. So if I heard you right, you described it as an additive molding company. There you go. Yeah. What, what I heard you say with um, your experience at Arivo was that was kind of the what if phase. And I'm curious, since this is not your first 
startup soiree. You were working on Arivo before you went to Eris. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from being at Arivo that has helped you in this next startup where you are at Eris today? Manufacturing is messy. You know, where hardware is hard, like some other people say, hardware is hard, right? And, and, and there is this realization that there's a lot that goes into making a really good product. And so even in 3D printing where, you know, you have these printers, you can push a button, nothing's actually push a button, right? There's, there's, there's 10, sometimes dozens or more steps before and after to get to that final part. And a lot has to line up, right? The supply chain, bring coming materials, the product design that meets the needs, like the surface finish characteristics that you get in the end, and then the yields and volumes at scale. Um, and so, you know, the, that simple, that simple lesson of like manufacturing is, manufacturing is really messy and it's really complicated, um, was, was a key takeaway from Arivo and that, and that really led here, you know, at Eris to going, okay, let's use a technology that's proven itself at the scale already and then focus on delivering the key material innovations and fiber alignment that's needed with that technology to give us, to give us the performance. So let's try to, basically, let's try to use as much as we can that already exists and not try to reinvent anything new outside the core focus that we have in, in performance. So is it fair to say that based on that lesson, manufacturing is messy, that at Eris, you're leveraging proven technologies to make it less messy, or is there more to that? No, no. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way to put it, right? We're leveraging molding technology and then we're innovating on top of it. So it's not, it's not, it's not the molding that everybody knows. We've, we've, we've innovated in mold design, in, in, in mold kind of workflow, obviously in the materials that I was discussing. And then in the software, how do we design these parts? What does it look like? So there still are a number of components to the manufacturing process, but it's kind of appropriately taking the risks where we want to deliberately do something new and then leaning on and relying on where there's already existing infrastructure in place, right? Like don't, you know, the classic phrase, don't reinvent the wheel is, is something that we've, we've always focused on since the very beginning. Yeah, that is, I think for the manufacturing leaders out there listening to this, such an incredible lesson that's transferable to so many other areas of manufacturing, right? Like when I was working in automation in the Bay Area, I would go to companies that are reinventing the wheel by making their own in-house automation controller, for example, right? When that's not their core business, it's like there's so many off-the-shelf things you can do. There's so many proven technologies like you're doing, so that way you can focus on the real area where you want to innovate. Exactly. And I think that's a, what you just highlighted is a great example like automation. There's classic examples. You can read a lot about this you know, publicly with Tesla on how they took automation way too far. Right, they automated everything. It looked beautiful. You had tons of these robotic arms. And if you ever saw the floor, like it's fantastic, but it's not cost effective. It doesn't make sense. It's actually like a person is better there. And so like smartly automating is, is, is much more challenging than it sounds. And, and similar to where we are, right? When you look at automation, you have to look at like, is this a pick and place movement? There's hundreds of companies that can do it. Outsource that part, right? Keep your core tech and develop and focus on your core tech but be really mindful when you're taking on something new that it's something that someone else has not already done in another industry you can use. And, you know, as, as, as you probably know, and, and, and many people in manufacturing, it's hard when you're working with a ben bunch of really smart, really motivated and driven engineers to keep them back from doing it all themselves. Like they know how to do it. They want to do it. Um, but it's certainly something you have to be mindful of. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. And it's funny. I think that 
like um, situation at Tesla where Elon realized he had over automated a little bit had come up on the show a couple times, oh, probably yeah. like a year, <laughs> year and a half ago, just because it was such a telling lesson in the manufacturing and automation world. Um, I, I guess one more question before we talk a little bit about uh, the running component of, of what you've been up to at Eris. What is ultimately your why for starting Eris Composites? Why did you start the company? It's, it's the drive. And I think all, all of us, you know, I guess I'll speak for myself and but the other co-founders also, we, we all shared in this, this passion for the superiority of the composite materials, right? So we, we, we all had experience with them in different industries, different applications, but it's always limited to the, the really high-end stuff. You got like the, you know, the, the, the Boeing Dreamliner, for example, almost all composites. You have like the Lamborghini, almost all composites. You get like high-end skis or bikes or golf clubs, like it's all composites, but all the products around us day to day, whether it's running, which we'll, you know, which obviously we would talk about, or, you know, it's towards consumer electronics, it's, it's not taking advantage of it, but those products could be so much better if they were using the material. And so the drive is really that better materials do exist. We need to use them in the right way from a design and the fiber alignment standpoint to be able to get this performance, the superior to metal. And then the scale that's needed to get to millions and millions of parts. So I think it's, it's really that drive of like composites has a, such a bigger future and we want to be the ones leading this. Well, I like that you have some concrete examples of where these are being used, which is what we're going to talk about now, because it's some very recent news that your technology was just being leveraged in the New York City Marathon um, this past weekend when we're recording this. This will be coming out a, a few weeks after that. But let's paint another picture, right? Let's say you and I and a group of other runners were, were stretching before a run around Lake Merritt in yep. Oakland, right? And, you know, as we're stretching, as we're getting prepped, someone asks, you know, hey, what, what do carbon plates for running shoes do for a runner? How do you answer that as if we're chilling before uh, a distance run? Yeah, it's uh, so simply energy return. You get back more energy per step than you get without a plate. What does it mean? It means like all those muscles around your foot that have to work to support your foot through that motion, experience less fatigue. And in the end, you're going to get a faster time. And that's what everyone cares about, right? Really simply put on the carbon shoe and do your same workout that you did a week ago or two weeks ago, you'll have a faster time. And, and I've, I've yet to, yet to see that not play out that way. I love it. And, and when did this become a focus for Eris? Was this what you were, was this like the first I don't want to call it a pet project, but this was, was this the first niche you were looking at or did this evolve as the company evolved? No, no. I mean, I mentioned, I, I kind of touched on, you know, the beginning of the company really starting out of this drive from consumer electronics where we're still working and have, you know, have, have, have a number of different opportunities, applications in that space. Footwork came up and became bigger for us, you know, really started in 2019, right? When Nike introduced the shoe, broke, I broke the two hour marathon right? Set the record at Berlin. Like it was just all of these things. He's an incredible athlete. That shoe used with him through these, 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 these events gave carbon and composite a whole new platform. So Nike wasn't the first to do it, but they, they, let's say brought it into the limelight. And then all these other brands were starting to look at it. So we were getting calls and we were vetting like, Hey, what can you do here? So we started to spend some time and look at it. And we found like it's, it's, it's a really interesting space. 
because it's not just the elite runner that can benefit from it. As you and I were just discussing, like it could be your 10 minute per mile runner or jogger that can take advantage of this and get much faster times. But then it's also your basketball player, your football player, your soccer player, your trail runner, your track athlete. Like we're working across all these segments now in footwear and we're seeing a lot of value that comes from introducing a play, particularly our play where we can drive specific fiber alignment that matches the foot that gives gives incredible performance so it's become a really exciting industry for us um and one that you know given what nike's already done makes it really easy for us to jump in and and spread quickly yeah so i I know this was just being leveraged in new york city this past weekend right tell tell us about how that all went down right i'd love to hear maybe the story from your perspective because i saw some of the photos on instagram you were there as well so i'd love to hear you know, what went down and what the overall experience was like. It was fun. It worked out well. I had some meetings early, early in the week and, you know, I couldn't, couldn't resist flying in uh, on Sunday to, to see the marathon and watch, watch the athletes. I mean, it was, it was, it was inspiring. It's inspiring to see like our products out there. And this was actually the second marathon our product has been in. Uh, and so we, we've, we've gotten like some, some real events and results out of it, which have been incredible. Um, and so it was, it was, yeah, I mean, it's always fun. It's always fun to really see your product and use making a difference for people, like changing their performance, which ultimately changes their career, which ultimately changes their life. Like really, it, 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 I, I don't want to get too grandiose, but I think when I look around everybody else at the company too, you know, we made drone parts. Like I mentioned, we've made like cell phone parts and enclosures. We made this and everyone's like, okay, yeah, these are cool. Everyone's most excited when we make a shoe that an athlete runs in and then sees their performance and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is awesome. So I, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. And, and uh, you know, I think we'll, down the line, we'll be able to share a lot more about what this looks like and some of the specifics, but, but the general, the general, the general vibe is, uh, is, is great. And I just love the energy of a run. I'll tell you though, it's hard. It was hard to be out there and not part of the event. Like the first marathon, standing on the sidelines, cheering. And it's awesome to see all those athletes, but it gives you that itch again to go, oh man, I got to get back out there. Yeah. How many marathons have you run in, if you don't mind me asking? Oh man. Yeah. So if you look at just pure road marathons, probably like four to six. Um, But if you add in like trails where I started doing marathons and 50Ks, 20, 25 maybe 30, like I, I kind of lost count. But I started kind of in that, in that space, did tons of trails all up and down Berkeley, California, even, even the South when I was living in Louisiana. Uh, and then uh, my brother pulled me into road racing. And so I've done, done several of the big, the big events there and completely different atmosphere, but both, both, both really fun, exciting events. Yeah, and, and that won't be the last running question I ask you. We'll get more into that in a second. I'm curious, you know, whether it's a qualitative, quantitative, what, what's been the feedback on, on these carbon plates so far? I'm curious how, what, what you're hearing about them and, you know, what, what your future plan for them is as well. Yeah, so, I, so the, the, feed, the, feedback, the feedback's been really positive. The feedback's been really positive. So, so one thing they, they notice, it's lighter. So like, just for example, you can see, you can see me here on video, right? This is the plate that's in most of these shoes, like a bi-directional weave. This is actually what you see on planes and cars. Like this is the standard way you make composite and you get a laminate, a woven sheet, then you machine or stamp out that shape and you got your part. This is the way that we make and design parts. So just looking at this alone, you see this open 
web structure that was generated based on a loading profile of a runner, right? Automatically you see, okay, we take out about, let's say half the weight just in the carve out sections alone. Um, and then the, the other advantage is that we're aligning fibers, right? Up and through this complex geometry, which gives us the stiffness where we want it and the flexibility where we want it. It can be, it can be tuned more, more precisely than a weave where you, know, you have some fibers running straight along the right direction. You have a lot of other fibers running this way, which when you're bending, it really is doing nothing to the, to the performance. Um, so getting back, like, what does that mean for runners? So first, okay, it's lighter. This is great. Now my shoe's a bit lighter. The second is this, it feels a lot better. And, and runners don't describe it in like, oh my, the energy return around, like say, they, they, just, they just feel it. They're like, this feels better on my feet. Um, and some have been a bit more specific in talking about like fatigue. It, it fatigues my feet less. Um, and then when you really start getting any kind of in the science, the better this, this plate performs, the less the kind of tiny muscles around your Achilles Leading, leading kind of from your heel down into your mid, midfoot um, are stressed and worked. And so they're, see, they're seeing that benefit that we can get in, in our products, uh, you know, play out in their, in their events. And, and, and like I mentioned, be it, be it running or, or football, soccer, or, or you know, other, other events too. One of the things you said there that resonated with me as a runner is it's not necessarily like you feel that boost of energy, but overall it's just a better feeling as you're going through it, right? And when yep. I'm on a run, that's what I'm thinking of where it's like, gosh, I'm feeling really good today. Whether it's the weather, whether it's just the pace, whether, you know, all those factors add up, right? And I think that's where I can envision something like that making my life better as a runner in the future. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think too, if you're, let's say you're just slipping on this pair, right? We're around like merit, you're ready to go and you try it on. What you'll notice is, you're towing off a lot easier. So the natural kind of either from heel or midfoot to, to toe off that you do in running is assisted so much, so much better. This is where the energy return comes from. Like your toe off is assisted by this plate. So you put it on and even if you're walking around, you're like, oh, wow, this, you feel it different. Your foot's moving different. And then when you start running, you're kind of like, oh, wow, my, my, my uh, almost like my form is, is enhanced. Right. In, in, in the use of the plate. Yeah. And, and, and let's let's talk running a little bit here because we gave Lake Merritt a shout out already for anyone that's not familiar with the Bay Area. It's like an urban lake, probably three miles around. I can't remember the exact distance in in downtown Oakland. Where uh, where is your favorite spot to go for a run out there in the Bay and, and paint the picture of the setting for us, for those that might not be familiar with it? OK, yeah, sure. I put the most miles up on the trails um, in Tilden, in Tilden Park. There's a beautiful park um, that's in the hills next to Berkeley, the campus. And so when I was, uh, especially when I, when I was a student there and even after, like living around Berkeley, I run up and around the campus, then go, then, then head up into the mountains, right now running on the road behind the stadium, so the football stadium that they have. And then you get on Strawberry Creek and then there's some trails that wind up and then you connect to this trail route. It's, it's really hilly getting up and then it loops back around and you're effectively looking out on San Francisco Bay to see Alcatraz and see the Golden Gate. It's beautiful. And then, and then it goes down the other side, um, kind of on Wild Creek Canyon. And, and, then, and then you can run, you, you can easily put in 20, 25 miles, all, all new trails back there. Um, 
And so it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And that's, that's, that's where, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, where, where, where a lot of the miles go. Um, but you really can't find a bad trail out, out here. Yeah. I, uh, I was over living in San Francisco, I think for, you know, well, you mentioned at the start for anyone watching the video, I'm wearing an East Bay beer runners shirt, which is kind of the best of all worlds for this podcast. I would do a, a, a run a week over in the East Bay where we'd meet at a brewery and go for a run. But I'll tell you what, my spot was Golden Gate Park. I oh, lived yeah. like three blocks from there. I would jump on, whether it was around the old Kizar track or um, running out to, I remember it, it was eight miles going out to the beach. It was a six mile loop if I went around where uh, the racing grounds were there. So yeah, you can't go wrong in the Bay Area. No. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great route. Did you ever get over the bridge and do some of the Marin headlands? I did a little bit. Yes. I usually, when it involved the Golden Gate Bridge, my run was usually going along Fort Mason there on the North shore of yep. San Francisco. I did that run countless times as well. Yeah. Cool. You know, while, while we're talking about marathon running, I, I've got a question you can answer one way or another. Where is the most memorable place you've gone for a run or what was your most memorable marathon since we were talking about that? Oh man. Okay. That's a good, that's a great, yeah, that's a great question. A lot of awesome moments. Um, I guess I'll do a road and trail since they're, they're, they're both kind of different. So from the trail side, maybe the most memorable marathon is in the Santa Cruz mountains. Um, so you start kind of next to Los Gatos and the mountains up at top and it's net downhill. And so you're running down through trails in the redwood forest, you can run kind of in, in, in some of these like sandy trail patches, then you clear out and you're running down and then you know, the last mile or so you're running down toward the beach. You literally start in the mountains and you're running down through trails down on the beach, which is, which is just an amazing experience. Um, and, and low key, right. It's like a trail run. There's probably a couple hundred people. Uh, they're like the, maybe the most memorable, uh, the memorable road run experiences it out at Big Sur. Um, so Big Sur just South of here, right near Carmel, Monterey area. Um, they have a marathon runs along the road. It's a one way. Uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Like you're running along the water on the road, super windy. So you're in like little pods, little Pelotons, like they do in biking to, to kind of shelter yourself. And then there's one really epic hill and it's distinctive. Anybody that, 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 that's done the race always remembers this hill. They have these epic Japanese drums right at the base, right when this huge hill is coming and it's just boom, 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 boom. So it's just like <laughs> mentally like, oh my gosh, there are cubs. This is like heading into war going up this hill. Uh, it's great. I love it. I love good running stories. And I didn't just bring this up so we could talk, uh, talk shop around running. I want to bring this back to business as well. As a business leader, how has distance running helped you as you run the companies that you've been leading? Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, distance, distance running, the cliche now, everyone says this, but it really does clear your head and gives you headspace. And so, right, as you're running around day to day, tons of different stuff coming up, lots of meetings, travel, one thing to the next, you're, 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 you're planning out and looking right ahead on all of the immediate things that need to get done. But it's hard to pull your mind away to really look long term. So when you're thinking through, the strategy, where will we be in a year? How should we manage this bigger partnership? Like that stuff can't get solved or worked out in a 30 minute time slot on your huge calendar. You need to have a mind space to let your mind kind of 
clear out from all of the day-to-day stuff and then sink back and be able to almost reflect through this without a specific time frame. And that's what you can do on these runs. You can kind of lose yourself, whether you're on the trail or the road, and you can get into a thought and like see what else comes in, right? And so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's certainly an area where, you know, inspiration comes um, and, and some clarity of thought with, with, with longer term, you know, longer term objectives or, or, you know, a strategy around how we want to play out a certain market. Yeah, I uh, I became a lunchtime runner when the pandemic started, right? Because that was a good way just to break the day in half. Um, and whether it's coming up with a creative idea when you're getting the miles in or like you said, clearing your head, I could get a lot more productivity out of the rest of my day by taking that 30-minute hour-long break, depending on how long you're running, right? Just game changer for me. Yeah, and then you come back with a new perspective too, right? So you may be like working on something stuck on this. You get out for 30 minutes, even for a run or a workout, come back, you know, and you're, and you're refreshed. I have two little kids now. So I got almost a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So I, I, lunchtime, I'm still trying to work through lunch, but I get, I get my runs in in the morning. But just this morning, actually, got the double stroller, pushing it along, along uh, the Lafayette Trail and, uh, and still can, yeah, can get the same experience, which is great. I will say that's something I miss about the Bay Area. I moved to I moved back to Milwaukee two years ago. It is just too cold in the morning some of the times, right? Like I oh, wait man. until that afternoon yeah. some sun kicks in, like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. That's the sweet spot where even this time of year, you can still be out there in shorts and a t-shirt feeling good just because the sun's warming things up. But uh yeah, the consistency of the weather in the Bay Area is certainly something that has uh, brought back an old challenge in running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're so spoiled. We never have to think about that. Exactly. Oh, great spot. I loved reminiscing about this. But, uh, you know, as we get to the end of the conversation, a, a couple wrap-up questions for you. We've talked about running, business, your startups, what you're doing uh, at Aris Composites. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you on any of these topics that we didn't cover? Yeah, I mean... We touched about we were touched on a number of different aspects. You know, we talked we talked a lot about footwear. I think, yeah, it'd be it'd be worth maybe hitting on just like where where else you know this can this can be used. So I guess yeah, one other you know I showed you I showed you the footwear plate and some of the stuff we're doing there. But the benefit right that comes from this technology of the fiber alignment with the molding can be used automotive, aerospace, uh, consumer electronics, obviously consumer, and really any of these structures that benefit from performance and performance like strength to weight, stiffness to weight. And so, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of other uh, conversations we could have over beer on what are the impact in these other industries and what does it look like? But uh, yeah, I wanted to throw that in. Absolutely. There's, I, I'm excited to see the range of applications you're working on. There's no doubt we could have a, a couple beers at Rare Barrel to keep this conversation going. Yeah. I have to ask, what uh, what is next for for you and Aris Composites, and what's the best way to connect with you? Oh man, well, for us and the company, I think you know you'll see more and more of our tech. Look, look, look on the bottom of shoes and look for this type of structure. You'll see more and more of these out in the wild, uh, and uh, you'll see more and more of them in different um, sports as well. So, like I mentioned, like running, you'll see that. You'll see it on track. See it in trails. You'll see it on basketball players, you'll see it on football, soccer players, um, and, I'm, and I'm excited for that. Uh, and, you know, you can find me in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, work here is in Berkeley, so we're right off the highway 
here coming, coming from San Francisco. Um, I live in Lafayette, so maybe 30 minutes, uh, east or so from here. And, uh, yeah, I would love to go for a run, grab a beer, reach out. Well, I look forward to being able to giving, uh, being able to give your carbon plates a try in the future as well to see how they enhance my running. And certainly more we could always discuss. But for today, Riley, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to appear on today's show. Awesome. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks Chris, for having me. This is great. Look forward to meeting up in person. Likewise. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Riley for jumping on today's show. You know, after this conversation, I hope you're all planning a distance-running vacation to Northern California, because if you are, well, hey, I've got links and all the resources over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 117. There you can connect with Riley, learn more about Harris, and certainly check out Rare Barrel Beer while you happen to be in Berkeley. I've also added a link to the East Bay Beer Runners Meetup because, hey, honestly, that is the coolest running club that I have ever been a part of. As we wrap up this week, if you want to leave us a five-star rating and review if you enjoyed the show, head on over to iTunes or Spotify and hit that five-star button. On iTunes, you can leave a short review. doesn't need to be more than a couple sentences. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes or manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Spotify. And with that, we're calling it a week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.